From early parts in Australian television to Oscar-nominated roles in Hollywood productions, Heath Ledger left an indelible mark in the world of acting. At just 28 years of age, Heath was found dead in New York City. The Perth-born star achieved so much in his short life and his body of work continues to impress filmgoers. This is the story of Heath Ledger. Hi guys, welcome back to episode 71 of Unknown Passage, a podcast that tells the stories of those who have gone missing or have been murdered abroad. But this week and this episode is quite a different one. As I alluded to at the start and the end of the last episode, episode 70, I'm releasing you an extra two-parter this week um, because I've been working on it for a couple of weeks and I really just want to get started and get recording so you get a new case this week but it's not even really a case it's more of a biography this is the second time I'll kind of be doing a biography of someone the first one was Julian Assange um, that's still pending and he's still in prison in case you're wondering um, but for this double parter for a couple of weeks now I've been kind of writing down and watching a lot of Heath Ledger's work so It got me thinking. Um, In 2003, me and my best friend Simone from high school, we were standing, um, we were walking in Melbourne City and we saw a big kind of hubbub happening up down one of the side streets near the Regent Theatre, which is one of our major movie theatres, or, you know, theatres, as in theatre theatres in Melbourne. And so we kind of wandered up there to see what was going on. Heath Ledger was our absolute favourite actor. Um, And we saw very quickly that it was the premiere of Ned Kelly and we were just lucky enough to be there standing outside um, when Heath Ledger and his then girlfriend and fellow star of the movie Naomi Watts um, stood right in front of us and we were just blown away. Um, We had loved Heath pretty much since the show Raw in his early days on Australian TV and just five years later after standing in front of him Heath Ledger um, would be dead found dead in New York and the same friend Simone would call me very early in the morning of my little brother's birthday um, to tell me that Heath was gone and my mother said that all the colour drained out of my face Um, that's how much he really meant to us I'll talk about that a bit in the second episode when we talk about his death but honestly that day on my little brother's birthday I could I could hardly function since then I've really rarely watched anything of his work it always made me really upset I saw The Dark Knight when it came out at the movies a bunch of um, us from university went and watched it and I don't think there's any other way to watch that movie Um, and it truly at the time I thought it was good but re-watching it recently I've just realized what everyone was really talking about um, now that I have outlived Heath by five years which is hard to believe um so I was watching Brokeback Mountain a couple of weeks ago really in a really random way late at night I had only seen it once when it came out um and I didn't really think too much of it at the time um but re-watching it a couple of weeks ago it hit me a lot harder than when it came out to the point that I watched it um twice in a row a couple of weeks ago um I was 18 when it came out and I guess life experience at the time um for me wasn't really what it is now so the movie meant a lot more to me now Um, and I've only just realized a couple of weeks ago what a absolute masterpiece it is 
Um, and by watching that in a really random way, I started to miss Heath Ledger all over again. And I've been watching so many interviews with him and documentaries um, and his movies again um, ever since 10 Things, really, when he hit the big time in the US. I think us Aussies were just, you know, so proud of him that he got as far as he did and probably the most devastated when he was gone. And I've seen all of his movies in my life. Um, and when I was looking at the filmography, I just realized he was only 28 when he was gone. And, um, he really didn't in the grand scheme of things, make that many movies. And it's really hard all over again um, just a couple of weeks ago on the 22nd of January so just a few weeks ago um, it was the 13th anniversary of Heath Ledger's death and it is so hard to believe that it was that long ago um, and what a loss it was to lose him not just to Australia but to the world and to his daughter Matilda who is now 15 years old which is hard to believe because I remember when she was born I ended up watching a documentary that came out three years ago in 2017. Um, they wanted to make a documentary for a long time about him, but the family always said no. They got the um, blessing of Michelle Williams to have this made, and it is called I Am Heath Ledger. It's um, about an hour and a half, two hours long, and it really... I didn't realize how much I didn't know or most of the world didn't know about Heath that he pretty much filmed everything from the time he was like a teenager his entire life and his dad's got you know all of the cameras and all of the films that he made um and I've just been watching so many interviews and it's it's just it feels like losing him all over again and while he didn't go missing and he wasn't murdered abroad um i still think heath's story is worth telling and um there's a lot of lessons to be learned from it so to quote his character the joker here we go Heath Andrew Ledger was born on April 4th, 1979 in the city of Perth in the state of Western Australia in the country of Australia. Now, we haven't really been to Perth on this podcast, really. The closest we got to it was uh, Yeti Jacobs from episode 69. She lived a couple of hours south of Perth. Um, but other than that, we haven't really been there. Perth is considered the most isolated city in the world with the nearest city thousands of kilometres away. Um... It's all the way on the south coast of Australia, on the Indian Ocean. Melbourne is the southeast and Perth is the southwest. So from where I am to Perth, it is a four-hour flight, about 36 hours drive or 2,700 kilometres if you go across, you know, um, the bottom of Australia. Now... Perth is still very much a big country town. Um, I haven't been to Perth, but my friends who have been and the people I know who are from there say that um, a lot of people love it or they hate it. <laughs> Some things close really early. Um, one friend I had who went there said they couldn't find anything open for a drink after five o'clock. Um, but it's still very much a big country town. The population of Perth now is about two million people um, or just over 2 million people in comparison to Melbourne where I live which is about 7 million people. It is famous for the Swan River um, and its beautiful beaches including Cottesloe Beach which Heath spent a lot of time on growing up and where his wake was ultimately held um, with all his family and friends and Michelle Williams when he was returned home um, and cremated. Perth 
the capital of Western Australia is, like most Australian places, named after the Scottish city um, of the same name. Now, Perth is on the precipice of the Australian outback. Western Australia, which it's the capital of, is the largest state in Australia. It makes up a third of our country um, and it's home to famous spots like the Margaret River and its really famous wineries, the remote Kimberley, which is an ancient Aboriginal location, um, and Broome, which is in the north of Western Australia. It's really famous for Cable Beach and they've got beaches and lakes there that are like pink it's it's really unbelievable it's also famous for the bungle bungle domes which is a real thing um, now the weather in Perth is on par to where I live in Melbourne um, and kind of like Sydney but in the north of Western Australia it's tropical and hot now according to the Korea um, they have quite a different um, idea of what Perth is. So I have heard this quite a lot lately. Um, in the last kind of decade, it's become very kind of scary. A lot of places say it's the most dangerous place in Australia um, and one of the most dangerous places in the world. According to the Courier, quote, Perth is on the brink of a meth-induced zombie apocalypse and is one of the most dangerous places in the planet, unquote. And um, the now mayor of Perth I know him because he used to be a journalist on TV he campaigned on the fact that he was moving all the homeless people and drug addicts out of the city and he actually won now I have never been to Perth but my dad was spent he spent most of his teenage years there um, and my uncle lives there just on the Margaret River near the wineries just outside of Perth dad always is really proud of the fact that he went to Hollywood High School as he tells people now Heath was born to his mum Sally and his dad Kim. His older sister Kate, who was one of his best friends, um, he was inspired by her to become an actor because she was in quite a lot of plays when she was growing up. His mum Sally was a French teacher and his dad Kim, who's been probably the most vocal in the family since Heath has died, he was involved in the car racing industry. He was also a mining engineer, which got me thinking because my uncle who lives over there is a mining engineer. There's a lot of mining that goes on around Perth and Western Australia. So I wonder if my uncle, who I never have anything to do with, um, knew Kim Ledger at all. Um, now, his family established and owned the Ledger Engineering Foundry, and his great-grandfather was Sir Frank Ledger, and there is a charitable trust named after him in Perth. Now, Heath's ancestry was English, Irish, and Scottish, which is pretty much like most Aussies who were shipped out here. Um, and his best friend, who talks a lot on the documentary I Am Heath Ledger, um, is a guy called Trevor. They're the same age. Um, they pretty much met when they were three years old and from then they did everything together. There's really beautiful pictures of them when they were little boys. Um, Heath is just a little blonde cutie um, and Trevor's the dark head, you know, counterpart, um, just laughing and it's just really adorable. Now, Heath attended Mary's Mount Primary School in Perth and later he would go on to a private school which is quite prestigious called Guildford Grammar School. And his first role in the world of acting was playing Peter Pan in a play at Guildford Grammar when he was 10 years old. Now, when Heath was 10, his parents separated. And often you'll hear that Heath has three sisters. So that's taking into consideration his half-siblings. So his mum went on to remarry and his dad did as well. So when I refer to Heath's three sisters, 
One is Kate, which he shares two parents with, um, and the other two are both from subsequent marriages of his parents. So there's Ashley, who was born in 1990 when Heath was 11. She is his mum's daughter with her newer husband, Roger Bell. And Olivia was born in 1996, so she is like 17 years younger than Heath. Um, and she was the daughter of his dad, Kim, with his new wife, Emma Brown. Now, Heath was super close to all of his sisters um, right up until the day he died. Um, <clears throat> his sister Ashley is on the I Am Heath Ledger documentary and she talks about how he came back for the last Christmas that he was alive to Perth and then he surprised her at Christmas by saying, you're coming with me to London for a couple of weeks. Um, now, she's even younger than me and his sister Olivia is my little brother's age, so they're all quite young. Now, Heath was super close to all of them, but really he was really, really close to his full sister, Kate. When he was a kid, Heath saw a Gene Kelly film. Gene Kelly was a classic Hollywood actor who was also a dancer, and Heath was really inspired to act and to dance. After this, he and his crew of dancers at Guildford Grammar won the Rocker Steadford, which is quite a famous Australian thing. They used to play it on TV. I always wanted to be involved in it, but my school stopped doing it um, after a while. But this is a challenge where schools um, kind of compete against each other to put on, it's like a dance contest. Now, Heath loved the beach, especially Cottesloe Beach in Perth. He loved his cameras and filming, like, everything with Trevor. Um, Trevor says in the documentary that even if they were doing nothing, Heath would tell him to bring his camera. And he loved recording everything. He just got around with his mates in the city of Perth. Um, and his quiet upbringing, I think, looking back at this, probably ultimately led to his growing resentment of the media, um, especially the Australian media, as time would go on. Initially in interviews, he was really funny and chill um, and excitable. And then he, if any of you know about him, he became very, his relationship was very tenuous um, with the media. Now, Heath was a leading hockey player in Western Australia to the point where he competed um, in the Western Australia Juniors competition for the state. Um, and it was either for him go on acting or go on playing hockey. And um, he chose acting, but he absolutely loved hockey. He was also amazing at chess. He and his dad used to play a lot. And even when he moved to New York in his final years, he used to go to Washington Square Park, according to a lot of um, people who saw him and they played chess in the square there um, and he would just play chess with random people apparently he was like a genius at it and um, one of his dad's last kind of statements about him was when he died um, no more chess matches mate he was rather shy um, kind of fidgety I think this became worse as he got more famous um, <clears throat> Heath was very well spoken and articulate um, he's not a complete bogan like a lot of Australians. A bogan is like a redneck Australian. Um, we always make fun of Lorena, who's been on this podcast for being one. Heath was more worldly. Um, and the thing was, as he got older, he really struggled with the promotion side of working with things. He liked making the movie and being involved and being creative. But the minute that he had to promote himself and the movie, it was almost like he didn't realize that this was a part um, <coughs> of of the job um but i'm gonna play you a clip of it's it's a bit long um it's a <clears throat> chat that conan had with heath i think around 2003 um on conan o'brien 
just random questions like does it get cold in Australia um, do kangaroos wear mittens and um, Heath also plays the didgeridoo the didgeridoo is an Aboriginal um, you probably know it an Aboriginal instrument um, Heath was able to play it I played it when I was a kid they used to have um, Aboriginals come around to schools and you'd do like Aboriginal artwork and the didgeridoo but I think one of the things about the didgeridoo is that women aren't allowed to play it only men it's it's like a superstition thing um, with the Indigenous Australians so I'm going to play you um, this clip of him on Conan just talking about his love of Australia of Perth and um, just all things Australian Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. You got a little bit of Conan energy right yeah, there. Yeah, I know. I was watching you before. <laughs> really you had a lot up. of sugar, yeah. I have. No, thanks for coming. First of all, oh, those are cool. Yeah, they're all right, huh? Look at that. I got attacked by a cat on the way here. They, they, were, they were just red. <laughs> yeah, they uh, would frighten any animal. Yeah, no, they're <laughs> cool, though. Now, I want to ask you something. First of all, you are from Australia, but I don't know where in Australia. Where uh, are you Perth, from? Western Perth. Australia. Never been to Perth, but absolutely beautiful place, it is. Australia. It is beautiful, yeah. Fantastic. But now you live in Brooklyn. Yep. And I was thinking... No, no, listen, I'm not... Uh-oh. <laughs> You're going to be waiting for me when I leave. What are you saying about Brooklyn? Uh... <laughs> no, Brooklyn's great, but I can't imagine a place that would be more opposite... Yeah. Than, than Australia, right? I mean, it's just got to be completely different. It, it is, and, that, and that's kind of what I love about it at this point. I was after some uh, a change, uh, you right. know? Um, and it's just so quiet. It's real living, you know? I, I, I'm lugging my laundry down to the laundromat, and I, you know, my, my duties right now is just keeping the house clean, my girlfriend happy. Right, right. Um, I love and, that you just say, like, yeah, I had to get out of Australia so I could lug some laundry around, you know? <laughs> yeah. uh, but, 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 I mean, you also, you get hounded a bit in Australia. You're, you know, yeah, well, a, a big star anywhere, but in Australia, they, they, the paparazzi kind of gives you a hard time? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, look, they're bored, I, yeah. I think. You know, right, they, right. they don't get many people going down to Australia, and so it's, a, it's a, you know... They've got all the photos of Crocodile Dundee they would ever want. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, we've got to get Heath now. Yeah. So you come to Brooklyn, and the paparazzi, they don't really want to go into Brooklyn too. Badly, no, right? I couldn't care less. It's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You settle down, yeah. Terrell. Come up there. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna have Mr. T take care of that guy. <laughs> but uh, so you're having a good time, and yeah. and I know that sometimes in Australia, when you've had a, a hard time with the paparazzi, um, you know, and it's common among stars, they tend to lose it once in a while. You've actually thrown, you, you throw stuff at them. Is that true? Yeah. <laughs> people are behind you on that. I don't think anyone's complaining, but, but what do you I've throw? I've thrown an egg. You've thrown two. an egg. Yeah, what? not at them, just kind of next to them, so it splatters up. <laughs> you put a lot of thought into it. That's I how pathetic hit... it is. Like, that's what we were reduced to, you know? Right, like, right. You, can't, you can't actually stand up and slap them. I mean, when they when they kind of spy in on you and you're trying to, like, bathe out in the sun and you're, you're with your girlfriend or your friends or your family and they're spying in on you, it actually feels like you're getting a slap across the face. Right, right. And, and we can't physically stand up and hit them back, of course. Uh, right. It would be rude and, and against the law. Right, right. Um, so you just you get an egg. and That's a good idea. Do you carry eggs with you? Do you have an egg dispenser? Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a clock to your chest at all times? Yeah. Very nice. That was a cool sound, by the way. Um, yeah. This guy provides his own sound effects. <laughs> now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm, I'm an idiot, but... Australia now is is having we're in the summer but it, it's the winter for Australia is that right yeah does that mean like snow and people cooking at the chimney and uh, I mean what does it mean when it's winter in Australia um uh, what, what does it mean I uh, mean does it get really cold is there are the kangaroos wearing mittens I'm just I, I, really. I, I, I mean it, it, it was quite confusing growing up I mean for, for for example I mean Christmas time in Australia I, I grew up 
uh, you know, around the, the barbecue, kind of right. cooking sausages and steaks uh, in, you know, in 40 degree heat, sweating and um, in, in flip flops and shorts and, and singlets. Uh, right, right. Singing, dashing through the snow. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the same experience that you've snow. seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're getting a sunburn and uh, yeah. it sounds kind of cool, though. It sounds like a good time. It is. It's beautiful, yeah. Now, I want to ask you one of the things that's famous in Australia is there's an Aboriginal instrument mm -hmm. that's well known, which is called the, the didgeridoo. Didgeridoo. Yeah. And I've seen it in certain movies and i'm sure everyone here has heard it's that kind of sorry but uh it's such a cool instrument and then it turns out i've heard that you play the didgeridoo i can play the didgeridoo yeah really because we happen to have a didgeridoo right here you know it's amazing I've had this didgeridoo back here for 12 years. <laughs> and I'm always like, Al Roker? And he's like, no. Desperate Housewives, no. But uh, can you give, give us a demonstration? Is that all right? Okay, Am sure. I even holding this? I don't even know what's the right end. Do you know how they, 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 they make this, or they find these? The Aboriginals uh, will walk through the, uh, uh, in the outback, right. and they'll walk up to trees, and this is like the, the trunk of a tree, and they, they tap it like this. Right. And uh, they, they, they listen to it and listen to the sound, whether or not it's hollow. It's actually termites that kind of bite their way through and... So they, they, they find a, a piece of wood that's been hollowed out already by a termite. That's right, and then they cut the tree down and turn it into this. All right, let's give it a shot. And are all the termites out by now? Right. You have to probably... Yeah. Okay, no. all right. All right, so you got to be go. really, really quiet. Okay, here we go. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's it, thank you very much. That's all... Shot? I don't Ooh, even know. Yeah. How would I, what do you do to do it? I don't even know. This isn't working for me. I think I just threw up into it. I'm sorry. I got tense. I don't that even know. It's something was, with the lips, though, probably. Yeah. It's a very, it's a very uh, eerie sort of ominous sound. Yeah. It's hypnotic almost, isn't yeah. it? So yeah. Yeah. I will do your bidding now. Can you, uh, can you solo on it? You ever, like, bang out, like, a, can you do, like, a Hendrix solo? Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. I should, right. I should release an album or something. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you very much for doing that. We Let's talk about the Brothers Grimm. Yeah. So I just want to say that he did that exact... Alan, on an early interview, asked him the exact same thing, bought out a didgeridoo and um, asked him to play it. He did the exact same joke where he blows into it once and pretends like that's it. Um, yeah, so they're really interested in didgeridoos over there. But I also want to say it's really hard to play a didgeridoo. Like, you need to be able to breathe in and breathe out, like circular breathing at the same time. Um, I've never really had the opportunity. Maybe I'll do it sometime. Um, but so let's go back to early Heath Ledger days. In 1993, Heath Ledger had a tiny role, which I did not know until I researched this, and I found the clip on an Aussie series that all Aussies who were a certain age around this time like I was would know called Ship to Shore. Now, most Aussies, when you say Ship to Shore, will immediately know the theme song of that. Anyway, so, which I did not know, but I found the clip and he's a cyclist for like two seconds in it. Now... Around the time when he was 16, Heath sat his, I guess it was called his HSC, um, it's like your high school certificate. He 
he sat that at around 16, which was in the mid-90s, um, to get his high school diploma. Now, it was different, I think, back then. I didn't finish school till, like, 2005. Um, but I think you could finish early, like year 10 and then you could go on to year 12 optionally I don't think there's an option now um, but he really just wanted to get that drop out of school at 16 and devote his life to acting and really getting into it not acting classes just doing it he never actually took acting classes but if you know Australia you know that Perth is not the place that you will really get any opportunities if you want to be an actor um, the real stuff happens mostly in Sydney and then it kind of became Melbourne for a little bit, but it's generally the southeast portion of Australia. So at around 16 or 17 years old, when he wasn't even an adult, Heath and his best mate of his whole life, Trevor, drove across the Nullarbor Plain from Perth to Sydney. Now, the Nullarbor is this desolate, treeless, desert plain expanse. Um, it's 41 hours from Perth to Sydney and the Nullarbor, it's almost like a bucket list item for people. Um, you can kind of go mad driving it because there's no differentiation of landscape. There's no trees, there's no nothing. It's just this arid landscape for like a thousand miles. The Nullarbor represents the boundary between East and West Australia and it's like a quintessentially Australian experience. My dad drove it once alone and they say not to drive it on your own. Um, but for Heath, it was his ticket to freedom crossing from Perth to Sydney and without any acting classes and not interested in having any of them, he landed in the big smoke Sydney. Here's Heath speaking to 60 Minutes Australia um, when he was 22, when he'd kind of made it in Hollywood, looking back on leaving Perth um, and going to Sydney. To go to college or an acting school? Is that how you thought? Uh, maybe there was a need to, want, no, I didn't want to. Why not? Uh, you know, I, because the one thing that's got me to where I'm sitting is my instincts, you know, and I'm impatient. I didn't want to wait three years to work. I wanted to just get out there and do it. Thank you. Well, how long has it been since you've been in an Aussie pub? Um, about four days. <laughs> <laughs> as Heath tells it, it was that impatience of youth that first brought him to Sydney as a 16-year-old. With just a few cents in his pocket and a lot of faith in his beaten-up Mazda, he crossed the Nullarbor. It was literally jumping in that car and planting the foot down and just bolting out and... Uh... Running away at all? Oh, no, running too, you know. Uh, I've got nothing to run away from in Perth. I love my family, I love my friends, I love the city. Um, it's just there was all this going on outside of that and I just had to be a part of it. I had to to go out and, and learn. But Heath and Trav weren't in Sydney that long when Heath had to return back to Perth to film an actual series that was filmed in Perth called Sweat. Now I remember this series and not many people do. Um, he played a gay cyclist in a role at the time that he looked back and hated. Um, and after that for a while he really thought he shouldn't be an actor. And this was one of the first gay roles but not a memorable one um, that Heath would film. So here's Heath talking about to Triple J Breakfast in 2003, an Australian radio station, talking about his role in Sweat um, and how he couldn't even get his mum to say it was good. 
you know, sweat and stuff like that, where you just think, I'm pretty good at this. I could, if I get the right opportunities, I could be. No, it was actually the opposite. When I was doing sweat, I thought I shouldn't be doing this. I, um, you know, I remember looking at it and just saying, "This crap." You know, I, I remember even going to my mom and asking her. I was like, "Mom, look, am I any good in this?" And, and even even my mom, who is always you know supportive and stuff, is kind of couldn't even muster up a fake answer. <laughs> she was just like, "Oh no, darling, you you know you really tried. You gave your best shot." I was just like, "Oh shit!" I look over there, Uncle Neil's got his nuts. <laughs> But Heath returned to Sydney because he really wanted to be an actor and he thought he could overcome sweat. Actually, the scenes from sweat aren't that bad for like a young actor, but I guess everyone's hard on themselves. So for those of you, probably Aussies or Poms, who were vintage Home and Away watches, um, which is a soap, which is one of the longest running soaps in Australia, hugely popular in the UK. I used to work with a girl in the UK who all she did was ask me about Home and Away. I barely watched it past, I think, year 11. I used to really watch it. I remember Heath Ledger on it. Um, he had a very short role in Home and Away, which is quite memorable um, to a lot of people. I turned to a Home and Away aficionado that I know, Mark, who has been on a previous episode and said, do you remember Heath Ledger in Home and Away? And he said, yes, he took Sally's virginity. So Sally, one of the longest running characters in the whole show. Now, that was in 1997. And not long after that, he had his first film role in a small role in an Australian movie which I remember watching called Black Rock and the reason that I watched it was because I thought it was set at a place called Black Rock which was about five minutes from my house. I thought they'd filmed it there. Now in 1997 Heath scored a role that would kind of in a roundabout way bring him to the United States um, and ultimately propel him to international fame and find a way for him out of Australia. This was a Fox series that was filmed in Sydney called Raw. I never missed Raw on TV and barely anyone remembers the show. So in the documentary, I am Heath Ledger, which I won't be recording clips from because I don't want to get sued by his family. Um, they talk a lot in it, his friends, about how Heath on this met a girl called Lisa, who actually was the reason that he went to LA, which was interesting because I always just thought he went over there by himself. So he met a girl called Lisa who was actually like almost 20 years older than him because she's got an IMDb page still up. She was from LA and her name was Lisa Zane and she was actually the oldest sister of Billy Zane. Now she was way older than Heath but this would be a common thing for Heath. He had the same issue that I had. He went for people way older than him. Now Heath was around 19 or 20 when he moved to LA and Lisa was around 39 or 40 from what I can add up. Now Heath is actually in quite a number of pictures, Pat pictures early on when he was hardly in anything and trying to get an agent in LA. He was actually at the Titanic premiere with Lisa Zane. Now he moved into her house in the really nice area of Hancock Park in LA. He was new to LA, barely knew anyone there, trying to meet Aussies to feel more at home. Lisa, her flatmate was a guy called Matt Amato who would go on to become one of Heath's longest friends um, and would actually go on to start a production company with Heath before he died which I don't I never knew that and in the I am Heath Ledger um, documentary they talked a lot about that and I thought it was really amazing so I'll talk quite a lot about that on part two. Now Heath got an agent pretty quickly who is on the documentary and he would remain Heath's agent pretty much for the rest of his life and they were very good friends and he was put up pretty quickly for the role of which many guys and girls will remember Patrick Verona in the teen comedy 
10 things I hate about you. Now I've seen this probably a million times and I went to the opening in Melbourne um, and he got the role which surprised a lot of his friends. He said he was going for the bad boy role and none of his friends really believed him and he came back and said that he had it. So I always thought that he seemed really old like to be in that but he was actually only like 20 playing a teenager and this was a takeoff of the movie um, The Taming of the Shrew. You're just too good to be true Can't take my eyes off of you You'd be like heaven to touch I wanna hold you so much At long last love has arrived And I thank God I'm alive You're just too good to be true can't take my eyes off of you. I just had to throw that in there for those of you that are nostalgic for that movie. Um, I hadn't seen it for such a long time. And you want to hear something that will make you feel old? That movie is almost 22 years old. <laughs> so just when Hollywood had started to, you know, discover Heath Ledger in... He didn't really have it that hard compared to a lot of actors who struggle for years. He really just got an agent and fell into it. Just when they started to discover him, Heath Ledger was called back to his motherland Australia for a film that was also released in 1999 or filmed in 99 called Two Hands. Now, Two Hands I rewatched today. If you want to watch it, which I highly suggest you do, arguably I think it is maybe one of his best movies. Um, it is filmed in Sydney. It's about a guy who gets involved with some dodgy you know, underworld dudes. One of them, for Australians, you'll know Brian Brown, the actor, and also a young Rose Byrne is in it. Um, it really shows like a seedy underworld of Sydney um, and he basically loses money that he's meant to be doing a deal for them with. Um, it gets stolen and it's just him trying to recoup this money before they kill him. Now, Heath was a newbie and really I noticed that he really like set his sights you know, it was realistic for him. He always like kind of looked up to people bit by bit as he climbed the ladder. And at this time, even though he was, you know, filming movies in America, um, he was a massive fan of Brian Brown, um, who is an amazing Australian actor. I think Brian Brown never made it particularly big overseas because he's got such a broad Australian accent. Um, the only movie I can think of him that he was in in the States is Along Came Polly. He's the Australian guy that Ben Stiller is trying to 
insure, but he keeps doing crazy things like swimming with great whites and things like that. Um, Brian Brown filmed a bit talking about Heath about six years ago for the National Film and Sound Archive in Australia. I'm just going to play you him talking about what Heath was like um, back then. I think Heath just typifies a young Aussie bloke, quite truthfully. You know, might as well give it a go. You know, get in my car in Perth and burn over to Sydney and say I want to be an actor. I, I think most Australian actors, that's how they've dealt with things, whether it be here, whether it be overseas or whatever. It was more the Australian spirit that existed in Heath that you could never take out of him. And it's that Australian spirit about, hey, let's go and give it a go. Heath gave it a go. And here's Heath on the set of Two Hands in 99 talking about his time so far in the States. It was like a big advertisement for me, you know. It, the iron was hot in America, so I thought I'd pack up and go over there and strike and give it a go. And after a while, I was there for about 10 months, and it took a while, and um, it just came through, you know, persistence and um, picking the right jobs uh, and not going in on everything that I read, you know, just being very careful about it. But after working on a film with a $2 million budget in Australia um, for Film New South Wales, it was back to the United States, to either South or North Carolina, I can't remember, um, for the filming of his really first big non-romantic comedy American movie that a lot of people, a lot of directors would see him in and he'd ultimately get later roles. So. He was playing Mel Gibson's son in the 2000 film The Patriot and that's what really exploded Heath's career. Now, Heath really looked up to Mel Gibson. We've talked about Mel Gibson on a previous episode when Lorena talked about doing a um, film, uh, primary school project on him. Um, Mel was really the actor that Australian actors looked up to. He was really the first Australian actor that went over there and was able to get big roles. So he really paved the way... Um, for a long time for Australian actors and he was a megastar at the time of The Patriot um, and Heath was super nervous. Um, he was so nervous, like he was almost sick um, in the mornings before filming it and he really struggled in the early days of um, filming The Patriot. Here's a clip of him talking to um, David Letterman just around this time. Yeah, Where in Australia? I grew up in uh, Perth, Western Australia. Mm -hmm. Oh, that, that's as far, that's on the West Coast. Yeah, it's uh, it's the most isolated city in the world, yeah. actually. What was it, as a kid, Is that it must be great, I guess, if we were a kid. Huh? Yeah, it was fun. You know, it was, I had a strange upbringing, I guess. You know, um, I don't know. I, I grew up, uh, you know, my dad uh, spent like 30 years in the racing industry. So I really? What, what did he do? Western Australia. Your father, what did he do in, in racing? He, um, well, he built, he specialized in rotary engines mm -hmm. uh, for racing cars, and he also, he built, like, uh, speed cars. And... So he was like a mechanic, like an engineer, that kind yeah, of thing? Yeah. yeah. Did, did you yourself race at all? Yeah, I did, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. I was, uh, I, I raced go-karts, I guess. Oh, that's great fun, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> they're great. Yeah, they are, they're fun. Yeah. Did you do well in go-karts? I was okay, yeah, yeah, I did okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, now you're in, in uh, this country making movies uh, with uh, big shot Mel Gibson. Yeah. A countryman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently, well, he's from New York originally. Oh, that's right, that's right. In Westchester, right. someplace, and then he moved to Australia. Yeah. Why do I think he's Australian? I don't know. We, you know, we claimed him yeah. as soon as he moved over there. Uh, and uh, where did they shoot this movie? In South Carolina. That was that fun, also. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was great fun. Down How long were you there? About six months. Hmm? Now, when you, when you do something like this, you just move in and take over like the community of the town and stuff. Yeah, yeah, we did. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> 
and, and people, people don't mind that? The city doesn't mind that? No, they love it. They love it. <laughs> Uh, were you injured in the making of the film? Uh, yeah, I was actually, funnily enough. I, um, yeah, I got like three stitches in my little finger here. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I had open-heart surgery. <laughs> How, did... How did you hurt your finger? <laughs> Kind of before Heath started hating the media in this clip and earlier ones he was a bit like it was an arc of novelty and he was a bit excited um, but David Letterman was always belittling people wasn't he and I think that Heath kind of just was like oh you old fuck <laughs> like um, yeah forget it but um, in that he's talking a bit you know about Australia again real like genuine question are people that interested in Australia from overseas I just always find that they spend the entire time talking about it they all think that we ride like kangaroos and stuff it's crazy so I think around this time he broke up with Lisa Zane the documentary I am Heath Ledger doesn't go into it it just interviews his girlfriends it doesn't go into the ins and outs of breakups and things like that so that brings us to 2001 and Heath filmed um kind of small part in a movie which you may know because Halle Berry won the best actress Oscar for it Monsters Ball now I actually love the movie Monsters Ball <laughs> I think a lot of people hate it um, it's a small but important role where he plays the son of Billy Bob Thornton um, and I don't really want to spoil it for you so I won't but it's pretty like gut-wrenching it actually has Puff Daddy in it which is really weird um, this is the movie that Ang Lee would say that he first saw Heath Ledger in um, and about four years later would cast him in the movie Brokeback Mountain or three years later also in 2001 um, Heath, this was a busy year for him. He filmed A Knight's Tale in Prague um, where he met who would become one of his first high-profile girlfriends, Heather Graham, otherwise known as Felicity Shagwell, which I used to get called heaps in school when that movie came out. She was also in Prague, one of my, probably my favourite city in the world next to London. She was filming the movie From Hell, which is about Jack the Ripper um, in the city. Is Johnny Depp in that? Um, they met in a bar and they soon became a couple. Again, this was a much older woman than Heath. Heath Heather was about 10 years older than Heath at the time. He later said about her at the time, um, even though they didn't go out for very long, she's my muse. Um, she's a beautiful, beautiful girl. We make each other laugh. She's so funny. That's the key. It's fun. It's a good relationship and a very truthful one. Um, Heather would later call him the love of her life. She said, Heath is a great guy. I really feel protective of him, so I don't want to say too much, but he's an incredible, amazing person, and I'm really lucky to know him. Now, Heath took Heather back to Perth. I wonder if his parents, like, <laughs> got sick of meeting all these girlfriends. Um, he always took them back to Perth with him. Now, in I Am Heath Ledger, his friends discuss around this time in LA, there was these giant billboards of Heath with his face um, promoting a knight's tale with the tagline, he will rock you. And when Heath first saw the first one, he started having a massive panic attack. He didn't want to be a product. He had got what he wanted, as one of his friends said, um, and he didn't want it anymore. He didn't want to be a product of the system. And he really felt in Hollywood that he, can, he couldn't control who he wanted to be. And he was really stuck between a rock and a hard place, which is 
something that I really identify with. I, I've never really felt very Australian and I've always wanted to be somewhere else. But there was a time when I was overseas that I couldn't hear anyone Australian or hear a song Australian because I'd feel upset um, for, amount, for a certain amount of time. And I think Heath didn't know if he wanted to be in Australia where we have a really small film industry um, and people like Brian Brown make a living out of being in that film industry um, or in Hollywood where he was a product. And in Australia, you're not really a product, but as we'll get into, our media um, are pretty bad. So after filming all these films, Heath went backpacking around Europe with his friends for a bit. Um, and then he returned to Australia for a little while. He'd been doing back-to-back -back films and he was pretty tired. This was around the time of September 11 and um, he was on the panel. There's a clip of him on the Australian panel show, The Panel, um, discussing it and stuff like that. And he seems really kind of overwhelmed because there's like eight people on the panel talking to him. Um, so I'm going to play you a clip of that. Is, that's a brave thing to do. A lot of people say, oh, when you're starting out, you just yeah. take, you know, movie after movie. You've made the decision. You want to break? Um, yeah, you know, I, I did the movie after movie thing for two years, two years straight, and it just wore me out. You know, it was six-day weeks, 18-hour days. And just, How many times do you reckon you are going to play Mel Gibson's son? And I, I didn't. I, 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 a couple more times. Yeah. Because I always think yours here, you know, they talk about actors doing back-to-back -back movies, yeah. and I'm sure, and, the, and then they have a nervous breakdown. And yeah. I'm sure people are going, but it's not hard work. People have got yeah. no idea, have they, of the hours that are involved and the, you know... Um, yeah, I know. I, I guess... Um, Not that you want to whinge about a good know, situation, exactly. but it is a lot harder work, I think, than people think. Yeah, it really is. I mean, um, I guess the, the last one, I, I did a, a small movie called Monsters Ball, but before, before that, I, I did this uh, giant epic with Shaker Kapoor, and, I, you know, things like I had three and a half hours in the makeup chair every morning, so I'd get to work at three o'clock in the morning, get out of the makeup chair at six, get home at, you know, 10, you know, p.m., and I had, I really had like four hours sleep a night for six months. Well, every hey, day. When I, I did mean, Babe too, I spent two and a half months in a rubber suit. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ten bucks to any Aussie listening who can name the two female voices in that interview. So, um, he had also done the movie Four Feathers, the Four Feathers leading up to that, which is kind of one of my least favourite Heath Ledger movies. He'd filmed that in Morocco and then he'd gone to Prague. Um, he was really tired, but hopefully that interview makes you realise just how bad Australian interviews are. Um, also around this time when he was back in Perth having a break, he was still kind of trying to keep his profile up. Um, and he was on The Ray Martin Show, which is a bit of a throwback. Welcome. Could you believe? Would you ever, ever have done that for anybody as a, as a kid? Would you? Um, I guess so. Yeah, someone, a sporting hero of mine. Was, yeah. was it? Yeah. That's amazing. But a few. It's, <laughs> is it weird to see yourself? You say it's pretty. Is, when you drive around Los Angeles, for example, and you see your face up at a billboard or on a, the back of a bus, is that weird? Uh, yeah, it is. It's really weird. It's um. I don't. Know, it, if anything, it's just it's surreal. You know, I find it funny. Does it you look know, like I, someone else? Do you think that's me? <laughs> Yeah, no, you realise it's you, um, obviously, but um, I don't know. I get I get really nervous with it, and I get very self-conscious of it. But um, I guess I'm learning to deal with it a little better these days. And uh, it's all been so quick. Are you still bedazzled by Hollywood? You, I mean, these, this is the, the stuff of legends that we all grow up with. And it's only a few years ago that you were in Perth, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is. But um, I don't know. I've taken my time. I've I've chosen to stay out of the whole you know dazzlement of Hollywood. I um. You know, I have my own life, I have my own friends, and um, I don't know, I, I keep grounded through that, especially my friends back home here in Australia, yes. my family back here, they're really rich and they're strong, and, and I love them, and uh, I couldn't have done it without them and can't do it without them, and 
But, but do, you, do you find yourself wandering around Hollywood uh, just driving around and, and there's a plaque there that says, you know, like the Avenue of the Stars there, you see this was Clark Gable and this was Humphrey Bogart and this was... Yeah. Oh, look, yeah, I, st I still, you know, um, I can't help but get a little excited. I do. It's, I, I love the industry. And, who, was um, your, who was your favourite? When you were a kid, who, who was the idol? I don't know. I never really had one particular actor. I didn't. I, I, I try to remember back to this and even a movie, like a favourite movie that inspired me and I never really had one. I guess um, now, like, the people I look up to are usually the people I've worked with, you know, and have a personal, um, you know, experience with them. Um, and I usually, you know, they, they inspire me the most. You know, yeah. the Is it true? I mentioned the girls coming all the way from Melbourne. But uh, you, you went from, as a 70-year-old, you drove with 69 cents or 96 cents in your pocket <laughs> all the way from Perth to Sydney. Uh, yeah, I Is did. Is it true? Yeah. Um, I don't know, it wasn't, it wasn't more or less, I think, for, for work, it was just more for life, you know, I really wanted to get out there and discover myself, and, uh, and um, I don't know, Perth's a wonderful place to grow up in as a kid, it's a wonderful place to leave as a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> um, and did you leave to, to go acting and find fame, or, go, or, or just go? No, that's what I was saying, it was just, I had to go, there was a train that was flying past, and it was taking me to life, and I just had to jump on it, and discover what was at the end. Right? Have you got to be, to, to do what you've done, which is extraordinary, have you got to be lucky or do you make your own luck? Um, I don't know. I mean, of course I'd say, well, you make your own luck. But, um, yeah, it's a bit of both. It really is. It's timing. Um, but it's also the confidence in yourself to make your own luck. Yeah, you have to. Um, but I don't know, you know. I mean, it just doesn't come easily. No one comes knocking on your front door. Put it that way. You really have to go out there and knock yourself. And, um, and that's it, really. And then you... So really from then you can see a really sharp shift in Heath's attitude in interviews um, in terms of his body language and his attitude towards the journalists or the interviewers. He's really fidgety and shaking in the later ones. He It was like a light switch, um, which a lot of people attribute to drug use and I really can't deny that because I think... He did do cocaine on and off, and later on he would say that for 20 years he'd smoked like five joints a day. So you really can't deny that he was um, doing, you know, some drugs. Um, now, he started choosing friends that were really low-key. He still had his old friends from Perth. Um, a few of them returned to Australia. A few came over and pretty much lived at his house in LA, which I'll get into in a minute. Um, one of his best friends, which who was being interviewed in I Am Heath Ledger, was the in musician Ben Harper, who was married to Laura Dern at the time. Um, they met at some event where they both just left because they hated it. Um, and he's interviewed quite a lot. And it's, it's amazing because I never knew that they were even friends, but they used to hang out a lot. And he played a really impo important role in Heath's life. Now... Heath, by this point, had moved permanently to LA, um, even though he had a house in Sydney, and his house was pretty much a halfway house for anyone struggling in Hollywood, especially Aussies. Um, ben Mendelsohn, an Australian actor, is in I Am Heath Ledger talking about how he was there, um, Rose Byrne, um, Martin Henderson, Joel Edgerton, um, and pretty much people would say, are you one of the Aussies who lives at Heath? Heath's? Um, they talk about it a lot and they have a lot of photos. Basically, they were there like all the time whenever they wanted and if he'd go away to film a movie, he'd just leave the door open and let them stay. Um, there's a, 
you can see a listing for the home. It's a treehouse kind of home in LA. It's really beautiful, um, very open plan. And it was really a refuge for what Heath referred to as the Aussie Posse. Um, and his longtime tr friend Trev also lived there for a time. So um, this brings us to 2003 and Heath, decided to make a movie about one of the most famous figures in Australian history, Ned Kelly. Um, he also made a movie called The Order. Now, Lorena and I were talking the other day, and we do plan to do an episode on Ned Kelly at some point, because he was Irish, um, came to Australia, became a bush ranger, quite a kind of folk hero in Australia, ended up killing a bunch of cops, and then was hung in Melbourne Jail in Melbourne um, and the film starred Heath as Ned Kelly, Orlando Bloom I can't remember who he plays, I don't like the movie um, Ned Kelly has been played by so many people he's been played by Mick Jagger um, and a lot of other people now Naomi Watts was also in the movie and it was filmed in towns just kind of about an hour and an hour and a half from me, Ballarat and Clunes now, this is when Heath met who would become his girlfriend for a couple of years, Naomi Watts, on set. Most of you probably know Naomi Watts. She's from The Ring, quite a lot of other things. And they soon became a couple, which was kind of a trend of Heath's. Naomi ultimately would move into the house with Heath back in LA and become one of the Aussie posse. Um, now, the movie, um, I mean, I think it was released in... United States um, I don't think it has the best reviews I didn't really like it um, but hopefully at some point me and Lorena will tell the story of Ned Kelly hopefully Lorena will because she seems to know it better than me um, but this is when I stood in front of Heath and Naomi at the premiere with my friend Simone literally just like a foot away from each other and all I can remember um, is that he kind of had short hair he was in a suit and I looked at photos the other day and all I remember was that he was tall and Naomi Watts was really short um, so the pair tried to keep their relationship on the down low for a while when they got back to LA Naomi is Australian obviously and she had been living with like a flatmate at that point she hadn't really made it um, she wasn't really going to until the following year now, Orlando Bloom, their co-star in Ned Kelly, would often be a decoy for the two. Um, he would arrive with Heath to different nightclubs and things like that. Then once they got inside, Orlando would be dumped for Naomi. Um, so, yeah, I'm just going to play you a clip from Graham Norton. Um, Heath, I think in 2003 on Graham Norton, um, talking a bit about Ned Kelly and the like. Or have you done this already? Have you? Is it all in the can? The the one, the, the Ned Kelly. Yeah, it's done. Yeah. With Orlando Bloom, who was on the show. Yep. Yeah. That's right. And now you see, the thing is, and it, we like to see you doing the acting. Yes. Um, and you know, it's four feathers, big beard, long hair. Ned Kelly, head in a bucket. It's just, it seems a waste. To, yeah. To, are you in the bucket for much of it? No. Um... <laughs> No, I'm not in the bucket until the, um, the the end of the movie. There's the final shootout. It is a bucket, the armor. isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it's a metal bucket. Yeah, no, yeah. just the way you said it, I just thought I've got it wrong. He's yeah, got his head yeah. in something else. But no, it is yeah, a bucket. You're right. Yeah, you're right. No. Yeah. Uh, now, the thing is, I was talking to the audience on the way... Now, in that clip, if you watch the actual video, he's kind of fidgeting, rubbing his eyes. Um, I think it's kind of the beginning of the end of his love for 
TV at least. Um, but also in 2003, um, he was on Triple J um, speaking to Will Anderson on Australian radio. Um, and it wasn't all bad because he was quite funny. At the premiere in Melbourne. That was the first time you'd seen the full yeah. shebang. Mm. When you go to a premiere and stuff, do you like, do you treat it like when you're normally going to a movie? Do you like get popcorn and like drinks and stuff? Yeah. Do you have to behave well at the premiere or can you sit up the back and pash? Yeah. You're right, I do. Yeah, you're the back snogging away. Yeah. When you take your parents to a premiere, do you, like, when you were 15, still make them sit down the front and you can sit up the back with your mates? Fucking throw shit on them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or do you occasionally walk down to mum and go, I'm pretty bloody good now, aren't I? Hey, what do you think of that? That's no sweat, is it? <laughs> they must be proud. Yeah, they are. Would you do other Australian legends? Because Nick Kelly's like one big Australian legend. Well, who else like, do you think so? Well, you know, Don Brabin? Yeah. Big Kev? Peter Phelps played... No, I don't know, who did... Gary Sweet? Gary Sweet. Gary Sweet played Don, right. Brabin Don Brabin in Bodyline. <laughs> That's right. Um, Farlap? Yeah. Farlap would be a good one to play, yeah. Le <laughs> Heath Ledger is Farlap. Yeah. <laughs> if you were going to play Farlap, who would you most like to play the role of the jockey to ride you in the 1931 <laughs> Cup? Oh, God. Gary Sweet. Gary Sweet. <laughs> Gary Sloyd rides Heath Ledger to victory in the 1930 Melbourne Cup. <laughs> Look at your toenails, mate. You've got, you painted your toenails silver. What's that yeah. about? They're, pu they're purple. Where were you last night? <laughs> <laughs> like you don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's all well and good to pretend now, Heath, but last night when you were painting those and nails... And fingernails. Yeah. What's that about? Gold fingernails and silver toenails. Yeah. I, I think when it comes to fashion... It's kind of cute. Hello, pot, this is the kettle, you're black. <laughs> You've got a very, you've got a, you've got a very distinctive fashion style. That was shit. That's on. Let's go. Let's sort this out. I'm not taking yeah. sides. Well, I haven't seen ten things I hate about you twice. No. But um. Anyway. Uh, now let's just shake hands and move on. Will, you had a question. You had, I a, did. You had I, a mature, informed, sensitive no, question. No, I didn't. I so didn't. I wanted to ask, uh, in the fashion thing, any fashion disasters, anything you look back on in the past and just go, what was I thinking? You know, was there a hyper-coloured T-shirt in the past? Oh, yeah. Something like that? Well, I got this. This kind of thing is kind of weird. This is an ex these are old cricket balls. And so they, you've they got three, three sort of little bracelets. Yeah. They, they, they actually get a cricket ball and they cut it out and they... I don't know. So that's kind of fashion disaster. Oh, okay. No, that works for me. Huh? Yeah. I don't mind that. We're going to let you go and collapse back in bed. Thank Thanks. you very much for your time this morning, Thank Heath Ledger. Thanks, Heath. Now, the interviewer with the funny laugh who talks kind of the most, Will Anderson, I don't know who the other guy is. I can't identify his voice and there's no um, video. I, when I first moved back from England, I had always been like a massive fan of Will Anderson and um, I was like devastated because I had been forced to move back and my visa was declined um, to be extended. Nothing I did wrong, just the odds. And um, I was stuck in Australia and I had just got a job in the city and I was like still just heartbroken because I'd broken up with my boyfriend who I thought was the love of my life over and he was still in England. Um, and I was standing out the front having a cigarette and I was kind of on the verge of tears just thinking about it all at this new job I didn't want to be at. Will Anderson walked past me <laughs> and he winked at me. This was back in the days when I was skinnier and cuter. And um, I was so devastated, I just didn't even care. <laughs> now I look back and I wished, I'd, I wished I'd chased him down the street. But I think he's engaged now, so it's fine. So 
when Australia joined the USA in the Iraq war, um, which we tend to kind of follow what America does, both Vietnam and, you know, Iraq, um, our Prime Minister John Howard was behind the call to join America and Heath was one of the most vocal kind of people against this. He joined protests in Melbourne in 2003, uh, would have been in year 10 at school and not allowed to leave. Um, and Naomi Watts was also alongside him in these protests um, calling for John Howard to either step down or to bring the troops home. Um, he then got himself into some hot water because he, I mean, generally most people with the Prime Minister have voted for it, so the majority were on John Howard's side um, and would back what he did. Um, Heath, I remember when this happened, he was kind of hated for a while by a lot of personalities in Australia because he called um, John Howard a dick in an interview. Um, I'll just play you that clip now quickly. Also a passionate protester against the war in Iraq. And once again, he found himself in hot water after this interview on A Current Affair. I think it's pretty cowardice that John Howard's tending to be so subservient to George Bush. I think he should probably thumb out of his ass and bring our troops back home. I think we should just live our own lives and stay out of it. I think it's ridiculous that we're going to war in the first place, let alone that John Howard's such a dick. Now, it was probably around this time that Heath, when a lot of people turned against him, not younger people, I think older people, I don't remember having an opinion. I remember thinking, why the fuck do we always follow them? So I do agree with him. Um, but it was around this time that he really started kind of hating Australian media and Australian journalists. And it they are kind of scum. Um, I do kind of understand it. So he in one interview with the Today Show. And I totally don't blame him because I think we can all agree that all like, you know, breakfast news people kind of are scum who are lying the majority of the time and are bought by one side. Um, he was peeling an orange and eating it <laughs> during the interview with this woman. Um, and I think after that, they really started saying Heath Ledger's so fucking rude. He should fuck off back to America. Um, but I kind of understood where he was coming from at the time. And I definitely do now um, that I'm older. So at the 2002 premiere of Naomi Watts's big hit, The Ring, um, I remember seeing that at the movies. I can't believe it was like 19 years ago. Um, Heath seemed to have... Naomi seemed to have been good for Heath. He usually wore dark kind of sunglasses on the red carpet. He seemed to have ditched these... Um, to kind of show his eyes and Naomi gushed around this time that quote it is a new chapter I feel like the luckiest girl in the world unquote she went on to talk about the kinds of guys she likes and why she likes Heath quote I love men who are comfortable with themselves and are happy to let their natural beauty radiate I hate guys who try too hard with perfect hair perfect bodies perfect muscles that line up neatly vanity is a big turnoff girls can get away with that sort of self-possession but I don't think guys can I like the just rolled out of bed just happened to look great kind of guy, unquote. Ditto. Now, when Barbara Walters quizzed um, Naomi Watts on the age gap between her and Heath, she said, quote, wait, what? He's how old? And I'm how old? Unquote. <laughs> she then said, I'm not so good with numbers, Barbara, unquote, which was an awesome response. Now, at this time, Naomi Watts was kind of just getting big in America when she was in her mid-30s um, and they dated for around two years. However, Naomi was 11 years older than Heath 
Um, she was ready to settle down and find someone long term and have children. Um, she was 35 and Heath was only 24 years old. Um, and they finally split when she realized that Heath wasn't ready to be a father um, and he wasn't ready to settle down. His career was really just taking off in Hollywood and he was barely 24. A friend of theirs said, quote, they loved each other, but really they never got the timing right. Just as Naomi was feeling comfortable about things, Heath wanted to do something else. They are never going to settle down, So, use, to use that old-fashioned term, unquote. Um, Naomi later confirmed that that was basically the reason, saying, quote, I think deep down we both knew there wasn't a forever plan, unquote. Now, don't feel too bad for Naomi Watts because she ultimately went on to marry. Was she married to him? No, I don't think she was married. She went on to kind of settle down for a long time and have two kids with Liev Schreiber. Um, so good for her. Now, many pointed at the time to Heath's womanizing as an issue um, in their breakup. And I don't really think that's fair because I wouldn't really call him a womanizer. For the most part, he seemed to be like a loyal partner, which is pretty hard to find in Hollywood. But he did love hitting the clubs. And at the time, he was kind of enjoying his new, his newfound, you know, fame. Now, Heath's relationship with the media, especially Australia at this time, um, was tenuous. As I talked about, he peeled an orange on Australian TV live um, in the morning. And But to his credit, when he did feel that he had been really rude or he'd fucked up, he would send a card or ring the person directly and apologise. In the documentary, I Am Heath Ledger, Naomi Watts puts the his relationship with the Australian media down to tall poppy syndrome, which I think is pretty much spot on. Tall poppy syndrome is something that Australians are really kind of known for. It basically means that when one grows above the rest, they cut it down to size. So Australians, in it is a good and a bad thing. They don't let people get too big for their boots. But again, they can be really kind of nasty when people do get bigger than those next to them. Now, in 2005, um, Cass sorry, I think it's 2004, Casanova, which I wasn't a fan of, and The Brothers Grimm, which I also wasn't a fan of, um, and Lords of Dogtown were all released. Um, so it was a big couple of years, 2004 and 2005 for Heath. Um, now, there's an interview which I watched and it just made me really sad um, when he was promoting Casanova, where he just didn't seem to be able to get his words out. He seemed like he was about to fall asleep. He was about to throw up. He was drinking a bottle of red wine in the interview. Um, and when the interviewer, who seemed kind of nice, said, it was nice to meet you at the end, he, he could barely get his words out. And it, it really broke my heart. He, he was like, oh, it was nice to meet you. Um, but I think he was just kind of at this point in this phase between Naomi and Michelle Williams, and he was kind of just living it up. Now, his first nomination for an Oscar would come with the film Brokeback Mountain, which was filmed in 2004 and released in 2005. <laughs> and it's really hard to believe that Heath was just 25 when he filmed this movie. Now, this was a movie that made me want to do this episode that I rewatched, as I said at the start of this episode and I kind of realized what a masterpiece it is and how fucking beautiful it is um, just a few years before Heath had been in small Aussie productions like Two Hands and now he was in movies with budgets you know a hundred times the size so 
With Brokeback Mountain, Heath is famous for his role as Ennis Del Mar. He is what most people refer to as a cowboy. Um, he's not really because they're shepherds, really, and that's what the synopsis says. They don't work with cows, they work with shepherds. Um, and he, he's basically a guy who does a summer um, on, a, on a mountain called Brokeback Mountain with a, another young guy played by Jake Gyllenhaal, Jack Twist, and it ultimately ends up being a decades-long relationship. Now, I'm starting to laugh because the number of comments from people um, in the comments saying that their parents thought that they were going to see a cowboy movie... And then they walked out during the tent scene. Um, it's just, oh, God. People are so vanilla. I think, like, these things that come out in these movies, it just blows my mind. People are so fucking vanilla. So the director, who was quite big in China and then made it big in America, and he's really the funniest guy ever, Ang Lee, um, when he was casting... Brokeback Mountain, he was really concerned, as were the other producers, that Heath wasn't masculine enough to play the role, because I don't really consider him masculine, um, and neither did Ang Lee. Um, And he also was worried that Heath was going to be the main character with the most screen time, which is why he ultimately was nominated for the Best Actor Oscar. But he was worried that he wouldn't be able to carry an entire movie, and that he didn't have the presence to do that. they also had issues um, for years before because the short story that Brokeback Mountain is based on by Annie Prue, she wrote that in the 90s and the executive producers first got hold of it in the late 90s. So they'd been sitting on it for, you know, about six years before they made it. But they tried to cast other actors for years. They tried to make Matt Damon one of them. Matt Damon said he didn't want to do it because he'd just done a gay movie and a cowboy movie. So he didn't want to do a gay cowboy movie, which a lot of people refer to it as. Um, A lot of people just said, no, I don't want it. So Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal ultimately signed on Heath is the least homophobic person in the world um, seemingly and he said that the script was beautiful and to sign him on now through the film Heath and Jake would become great friends and I don't think that Jake Gyllenhaal gets the credit that he deserves for this movie Um, Jake would ultimately refer to Heath Ledger as quote way beyond his years as a human unquote So Heath was able to choose which role he wanted to play. Um, When they signed him on, he could choose Jack or Ennis. And I can't really imagine him playing Jack. Um, I've been trying to imagine him and it would just be... It would just be crazy because he played Ennis with his, you know, clenched jaw and, um, you know, inability to communicate so well. And I saw an interview with him where he ultimately said that he decided to portray Ennis as a homophobic gay man, which I think is a really great way to put it because his only relationship with a man is, you know, with Jake Gyllenhaal's character, Jack. His portrayal of the quiet, conflicted cowboy um, would ultimately earn him a nomination for Best Actor for the Oscars, um, but he was robbed and he did not receive that. (laughs) And I still think that's unbelievable. I remember watching it and everyone was just like, you know, astounded. Um, So here's a clip of Jake Gyllenhaal talking a little bit about, you know, meeting Heath and what he thought of him. Lee and... Um, at the time, Heath was a friend of mine before we even shot the movie and um, always sort of alluring to me. Heath was always somebody who I admired in a way. He was way beyond his years as a, as a human in a way. Um, I wasn't quite sure where he came from. I mean, I know he's from Perth, but, you know, I, I wasn't really quite sure where he came from. And I think that's the feeling most people got when they were around him and why he was so extraordinary. 
Um, and so when that opportunity came, I was a young actor. I was like, yeah, I'm in. I mean, it's a job. I mean, I, I know a lot has been made of the choice to do it, but it just didn't seem something like something that was scary to me. Um, you know, it was, it was binding because I think there were sometimes like a lot of that character is very specifically sort of the more overtly gay character of the two, mm -hmm. one who's the one who's struggling with it less. And I think in that way, I didn't really realize that. And I think that was that was an interesting journey for me. You know? Now, a lot of people had a lot of issues with Brokeback, and it seems to be that every single interview that they did, they were asked about the physical stuff, which must have been so boring to answer the same question over and over again. Whenever I watch actors in like doing a press junket and they sit in the same seat and interviewers like kind of walk through, I always think how fucking boring would that be? And you can see why they'd start to get shitty. Like I can only answer one, some, I'm someone who can only say something once. And then I start to get really narky every time someone says, what did you say again? Can you explain it again? I'll be like getting more and more agitated. Um, so I don't think I'm really cut out for that. Um, but Heath was often asked about his views on homosexual relationships, which is like weird. What did they expect him to say? Like, I fucking hate them. Um, so here's a clip of Heath um, expressing his views on it um, on a kind of press conference for Brokeback Mountain. Disgusting. Oh. Well, I don't know. I, I, I think... Um... Yeah, I, I think it's a real shame. I, I, well, I think it's immature, for one, a really immature. But I, I think it's an incredible shame that people go out of their way to discuss, uh, discuss or to, to, um, to voice their disgust, I should say, um, or, or negative opinions about the way two people w wish to love one another. I mean, for, you know, come on. I mean, at least voice your opinions on how two people show hate and violence and anger towards each other. Isn't that more important? I think so. Um, so, I don't know. And it doesn't on it really concern me. I think it's a shame. Um, but I also, I also feel that... Um, I, I'm also, I also feel like it'll surprise people. It, it's, not a, it's, not a, a, it's not particularly a, a story. I mean, it's obviously about two men in love. And it's obviously gay-themed. And it's very easily labelled. But unfortunately, people are very quick in life to label something that they're uncomfortable with. The, the pure fact of it is it transcends a label. It's human. It's a story of two human beings, two souls that are in love. It's like, get over the fact that there's two men. That's the point. Uh, uh, the movie is not a story about an epidemic or a virus or something that can be cured in hospital. It's, it's, we're showing that love between two men is, is just as infectious and emotional and, and strong and pure as it is with heterosexual love. Um, and if you can't understand that, then just don't go see the movie. It's okay. <laughs> you know, we don't care. Um, it's like, deal with it in your own private life. Don't voice it out, you know? It's like, we don't want to know. And it's really boring and old and whatever, you know? But uh, we're very proud of it. And I think it's transcended that, you know? And so, you know, that. I just want to clarify that that clip that I just played you um, where the guy at the press conference, uh, he says it's disgusting. It's cut off at the start, that clip. So um, I believe it's part of a bigger question, um, longer context of the question, where he's basically like saying, what do you think I th What do you think of people who say it's disgusting or the movie's disgusting? Um, so I just want to clarify that. May I also just say that 
Jake Gyllenhaal was so underrated in that movie um, and he's such a sweet guy I've watched so many interviews with him um, I just I think we'd be good together so it would actually be the woman who was cast as Heath Ledger's long-suffering wife Elma um, in Brokeback Mountain that would ultimately change the trajectory of Heath Ledger's life and his future in the United States. Um, so that's where I'm going to leave it off for this episode. I'll be back either tomorrow or the day after with the second episode, which will cover basically 2004 to 2008. Um, so I hope that you've enjoyed you know this episode it's a little bit different um and in the different clips that I've kind of gone through and been able to add in um as much as he wasn't murdered and he didn't go missing overseas um you know Heath still died overseas and the way that his death kind of panned out his and the time difference and everything his parents would ultimately find out from the tv um and you know they're probably still going through a massive amount of pain 13 years on so I'm gonna leave it for part one there'll be only two parts to this um, and we'll talk about Michelle Williams their daughter Matilda how they got together um, broke back Candy the Dark Knight um, Dr Parnassus and Heath's you know untimely death so just to piss off all the homophobes um, in you know this episode and talking about broke back I'm going to play you you know a clip from broke back and Heath as Ennis you know and the way he's talking to um you know his character and the character you know formation I'm going to play you um a clip of him talking in broke back um basically saying that well I saw an episode an uh, interview sorry on Alan where he talked about the way that he kind of came up with how his jaw is clenched and um, every word that Ennis says he has to kind of punch out of his mouth and he's so kind of um, clenched up and you know you know he's not as expressive um, as Jack so yeah you, you forget what it's like being broke all the time you ever hear child support I'll tell you this, I can't quit this one. And I can't get the time off. It's hard enough getting this time. The trade-off is August. You got a better idea? I did once. You did once. You be in Mexico, Jack Twist? Huh? Because I hear what they go to Mexico for boys like you. Hell yes, I've been in Mexico. Is that a fucking problem? I'm gonna tell you this one time, Jack fucking Twist. And I ain't fooling. What I don't know. And things that I don't know would get you killed if I come to know them. I ain't joking. Yeah, we'll try this one. And I'll say it just once. Go ahead. Tell you what, we could have had a good life together. Fucking real good life. Had us a place of our own. But you didn't want it, Ennis. 
So what we got now is Brokeback Mountain. Everything's built on that. That's all we got, boy. Fucking all. So I hope you know that if you don't never know the rest. You count the damn few times that we have been together in nearly 20 years, and you measure the short fucking leash you keep me on, and then you ask me about Mexico, and you tell me you kill me for needing something I don't hardly never get. You have no idea how bad it gets. And I'm not you. I can't make it on a couple of high-altitude fucks once or twice a year. You are too much for me, Ansel. You son of a horse and a bitch. I wish I knew how to quit you. Why don't you... Why don't you just let me be, huh? Because of you, Jack, that I'm like this. Nothing. I'm, I'm nowhere. Get the fuck off me! I wish I knew how to quit you, Ennis. Uh, now, so how did, uh, first of all, I heard that you uh, picked that role. You could have done either of them, and you picked Ennis. Why did you pick him? Um, and why did he talk that way? All right, I'll answer the first question. Um, I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I felt like I had something... Um, to give to that character. Um, I, I really liked that he had uh, very few words to express his battle. And I knew it was going to be very physical, and, mm -hmm. and I like kind of physical transformations, and, and I like representing kind of emotions in, in the body and in the voice, mm -hmm. and that takes us to the voice question. Uh -huh. And uh, the accent and the, the mouth, like as you're doing, mm -hmm. kind of the clenched fist, um, it was exactly that. It was a clenched... He's, he was a clenched person, and uh, any form of um, expression I wanted to be painful, um, mm -hmm. including, uh, you know, words and speaking. And so the mouth became clenched, and the words had to, you know, fight their way out from within. And, um, you know, and the, you know, the accent, you know, I had to find the regional accent, which was Wyoming, with a splash of Texas. And, um, and, uh, and then I characterized it, you know, mm -hmm. kind of tried to close it up a little bit. And I also used it because I had to age, and... And I thought that was going to be the biggest challenge mm -hmm. for me, and um, doing that subtly. And um, I, I end up using the accent as my main tool, and mm -hmm. it starts off a little, pitched a little higher, and with a little bit more enthusiasm and energy, and, and then it just gets kind of lower and more desolate and mm -hmm. tragic. And, yeah. Right. It, was, it, it was really wonderful, and that, that makes total sense that you would choose. It's interesting that you decided to do that, to close him up so much so that it became physical instead yeah. of just emotional like that and yeah. then and michelle who i adore because she was in if these walls see you for part two soon